The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'd like to take some time now for um, questions, reflections or comments about anything you've noticed or something that feels different to you about this style of practice that you'd like to check in about. So it's uh, it's pretty open right now, and it would be helpful to use the mics. Um, I am recording this day long in its entirety so that your questions will be recorded and do support the community listening to this on the internet. So um, just know that that is happening. Um, so any questions or comments? Yeah, yeah, right. Here's the mic. Earlier in the day, I um, had a whole conversation going on. It was very interesting. And um, I said, huh, you had this whole conversation on going on in your head, uh, but that's not really your goal today. And um, and then I had this question. Well, uh, I don't know if that was a good goal. I, I really liked this conversation, and um, I remembered the goal was to practice mindfulness in this particular style. And I, I had a lot of trouble figuring out why. What what's the benefit? And then I got um, what's the benefit of this style? You mean yeah, or being uh, mindfulness? Yeah. Like I really like this rumination that's going on in my head and. I don't even know how to get out of it. Um, what I f- figured out between then and now is um, I can focus on being mindful and then I can be present and then I can go on this walk and then what happens in the walk is like totally amazing <laughs> and, and delightful. And then when I forgot again, like what's the purpose of being mindful or um, doing what Andreas suggests. And um, now I lost my train of thought. Um, I, uh, if I can't get it right now, um, I remembered, you know, when you really focus on being mindful, um, you're much happier. Mm-hmm. So today, Andrea is offering guidance on how to get that. So if you forget what the purpose is, just um, just try what she says. So this is really about trust. You know, it's it's kind of uh, being willing to um, borrow the confidence of somebody else, in a way, to say, okay, yeah, I'm, as I said earlier, you know, I earlier in the week, you know, when I first started this, it's like, I don't get how this would work, but my friend said it was useful, and I'm willing to try. You know, I'm willing to, to just give it a, a chance. And, and then there were moments, like you describe, of seeing 
something clearly, understanding how it helps, and then I'd get lost again and forget, and then, but then, then I could remember. So not only did my friend tell me it was useful, but I've actually seen that it's useful. And so then we can start to borrow that confidence from ourselves. So the sense of the, the kind of like being happier when you engage in this direction. You may not be feeling that in the moment, but it, it can kind of be an in, impulse or in, inspiration to, to step into, into that. The other piece is that um, you mentioned at the beginning having um, thoughts in a conversation um, you know, there are times when we have to think in daily life. And so it's not that we um, just completely say with mindfulness that we check out of thinking, um, but that we uh, explore being aware while we're thinking. And so, you know, one exploration of that is, you know, kind of being aware that you're in this conversation and knowing how does it affect you. So there's, there's the, the mind that's in the rumination and then there's how does it affect you in the moment. And it sounds like in a way you, you recognize that you were enjoying the conversation but your mind seemed to think that in order to enjoy the conversation you had to be not mindful of it. Um, there, were, there was um, multiple things going on. So at one point um, I, I was just in this conversation and... Um, it was just sort of going over. It was over lost. Over. You were lost, kind of. Um, and I decided, mm, I like it, but, you know, maybe it's not that the best way to go. And then another point, I had a different conversation, and I said, well, how long do you want to spend on this? Do you want to keep going around in circles? Or um, do you want to spend a moment, decide what's, you know, whatever you want to decide be done and move on. So I just said, huh, you know, I just think I'll just, I'll just decide, be done, and then move uh-huh, on. Uh-huh. And that can sometimes support us to actually, you know, engage with something, engage with the content a little bit, make a decision, and then, and then let it go. And then there's something in the middle of either being lost or saying, yep, I'm going to do this and let it go, which is, hmm, the mind seems to think it's important to think about this right now, and how might it be possible to know that this is what's going on. It is not necessary that when we're in thought, in conversation, that we are not mindful. It, it seems to be habitual that we, that we lose mindfulness as our mind thinks about something, but it's not necessary. It's more of a habit. And so there is a possibility of, of you know, yeah, this, is, this mind is thinking about this right now. And, hmm, yeah, right now as I'm thinking about that, there's some tension. And, oh, this part... Oh yes, I think about that. That there's some from relaxation, and oh, maybe that's a direction for this to go. And so we can get some information. It's like that fifty-fifty mindfulness we've talked about earlier in the week in this daily life retreat, um, where fifty percent of our attention is on what's happening, so the thoughts in the mind, and fifty percent of the attention on how it's affecting you. So you can sometimes explore that. How is this affecting me? So that we're not completely in the thinking. But we're um, also not saying, I have to let it go in order to be mindful. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place in the middle where we can explore. And in daily life, it's really important for us to explore that edge um, of what does it mean to be actually present while I'm thinking about this thing. Because if we don't 
think it's possible there's going to be vast chunks of daily life that are off limits to mindfulness. And it is possible, but that belief that, hmm, if I'm thinking, I'm not going to be able to be mindful, that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy and creates, uh, it creates relationships to thinking that, for instance, would have us believe, oh yeah, I either have to you know, keep thinking this or be lost or I have to think about it, be done with it, and then I can get back to mindfulness. So there, there's that uh, in-between place of, of exploring the possibility of, yeah, what does it mean to notice the effect of this thinking while it's happening on me? Yeah, and behind you there's somebody who's... So I have a a comment and a question about the walk. Um, So I was um, focusing at the beginning on finding the space, um, and that was a very useful um, instruction I found. I spent more time than I usually do to find that space, but it it felt like it gave me some stability. Yeah. Um, But during that time, that I was trying to find that space, I was also consciously not uh, so there is looking and watching, seeing and looking, seeing and looking. Yes, I was consciously not looking, but only seeing. Like I found that by only seeing and not look, only hearing and not listen, I was able to kind of collect myself. Uh-huh. Um, and then after that was interesting, both uh, positive and the question is about the negative. Uh, the positive was I didn't have to look at every single flower like I usually do. I don't know, I get attracted to them. But there was this magnificent tree that I actually make the conscious choice of stopping to really look, and it was a very pleasant uh, encounter. Um, on the negative side, I got on a street where there was a very, very ancient car <laughs> that was just starting its engine, and it was one of those rattling, really, really strong noise that I haven't heard in a long time, and my relationship with it that was that I was annoyed and uh, irritated and um, I was kind of thinking oh I can't wait to be at that corner so I can be aware of something and then I thought well okay I'm irritated but um, this is just a noise and I was able to kind of go through that block um, without feeling so irritated. Uh-huh. But I was wondering if you have um, more tips on how to deal with once our rela- we realize that our relationship with the emotion is a relationship of aversion, um, because it happens a lot in the day. Um, you know, this time that kind of thinking about this just a sound, it helps me. But I would like to hear more mm-hmm. tips. Yeah, so that's a great question. 
Um, I think in any time that we notice the attitude of either greed or aversion, some kind of a reactive attitude, well, first of all, one of the things to recognize is that that, that is happening. So, you know, you notice that, oh, this is aversion. This is what it's like to feel aversion. Um, and that's a big piece of it, is to just actually recognize that. You can, you, you, you can sometimes... Um, you know, I think using some of those tips uh, or tools of recognizing, well, this is just a sound and knowing that this is a relationship to the sound, kind of recognizing the difference between that it's a sound and that this is the mind reacting. You know, that's an important distinction to notice because sometimes our mind kind of conflates the two and it's like, well, the, the uh, irritation is in the sound. And we also might think that that thing is causing our irritation. You know, and that's another piece to begin to recognize that our minds actually have a choice in the matter. And, and it's been conditioned that perhaps that we um, you know, have reactions to loud, sudden noises, that we would have an irritation or an aversion to that. There's a conditioning to that. But you know, in, in many cases, um, uh, as, as long as it's not like damaging the eardrum, most of the unpleasantness is in our mind's um, uh, in our mind's relationship to it. It's not a physical pain. It's not like damaging the eardrum, but it's a it's something about the sound, things that we interpret or associate with it, that have the, that irritation coming up. And so, to begin to be, um, you know, to, to to recognize or to be curious that well, this is this is a relationship of this mind in this moment. Um, and, and as you noticed, so another thing that, that can support us is as you noticed that seeing that this is just a sound helped the irritation go down a little bit, then um, we can begin to recognize that it is somewhat more within this system's option to have a different, different relationship to it. You know, a, a one... Um, experience I had around really loud noises on one retreat that it was a very different relationship than I was used to. Um, I was doing walking meditation outside um, and a, a big huge truck drove up and you know what was going on in my mind before that was that I was caught in an aversion around um, um, you know some relationship to another retreatant. And I was really annoyed with that retreat. And my mind was kind of looping in there. I was trying to be aware of it. I was noticing the aversion. And this truck drove up. And it was a really loud truck. You know, the truck banged, the door banged, the brakes squealed. It was really loud. It was right next to me. And it kind of flipped my mind out of the state of what it was doing and into just this kind of like amazement of like, wow, it's a truck. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> and, and so that, you know, to see that our minds have possibilities of different relationships to things. I think, you know, normally in, in a meditation setting, I had had, you know, hearing trucks drive up, I was noticing the aversion. And again, seeing in this case, it was like, it was joy, it was delight, it was like I was a two-year-old with those sounds. And so really it was an education for my mind to see this relationship of irritation or aversion is made up in the mind. And so a reminder about that can help. It's like this is this is conditioned. This is this is constructed, not to try to stop it, but to um, to just begin to hold it in a way that recognizes, yeah, okay, this is 
this irritation is, is a habit. I think that's, that's a big piece that I've explored is recognizing, yeah, whatever's going on right now, whatever reactivity, this mind has done a lot of that in the past, so of course this is happening. So that, that kind of of course recognition has been a helpful one for me. It's like this, uh, this, is, this is the way this mind has been trained. And, and seeing the way it lessens over time, we can begin to see, and it can be trained in another direction. Yeah, so what you're saying is, once I noticed that it was just a sound and... I was able to walk through that block without um, feeling so irritated. Um, using that, that experience to actually realize that, like reinforcing in my mind that that irritation was self-made. Yes. Um, um, is a helpful... Um, okay. All right. And and also I mean the other big piece about about it is that with the the reduction of the irritation um you've got probably more capacity to notice well there's hearing and a slight irritation happening so that it you know there can be a little more space as the as it gets a little reduced and and there can be a little more ease with recognizing oh yeah there's a sound and a little bit of irritation and here's how that irritation is tensing the body you know, so we can see the effect, not only of the sound, but of the irritation. You know, see the effect of that on our system. Yes. Like, it, it felt really kind of clear, black and white for the first time. Um, so highlighted that... Um, contracting around the irritation <laughs> or the sound um, was not going to make it go away, and I that was actually making my experience worse. Yes, and that's, yeah. th- to see that... Yeah, to really feel it. really... Yes. Yeah, that's an education your system is getting. Yeah, because yeah. kind of, you know, I've heard you talk about it, and intellectually I was hearing what you're saying, but really viscerally experience it. I mean, th- that's the whole point of yes, the exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, thank you. Other questions or... Yeah, and there's another mic here. I have a question um, related to the sitting practice. Um, Usually I practice in a more uh, directed awareness, and I find this style of practice, or I found it this morning, um, to be a bit discombobulating. Um, Kind of there was some tightness in the mind, especially related to how rapidly awareness will switch objects. Yeah. Um, So I found myself going kind of um, intentionally going back to a single object or um, intentionally holding an object longer, which is not the practice. So I'm, I guess I'm wondering um, if that is more easeful. Should I go to what's easeful or should I just kind of stay with the unpleasant, rapid changing objects? So one that a couple pieces, one is that this is, this is a, a, an experience that we begin to see is just when we relax and kind of let go of taking charge of what, of what our attention is doing, we actually can see, you know, wow, our attention does a lot. 
you know, and it can feel a little bit overwhelming at times to see, you know, to just kind of be aware of how much the mind is doing. Now, we don't actually have to do much there other than recognize, oh, you know, see almost how quickly the mind jumps from thing to thing. But sometimes there can be in that a sense of, I have to keep track of it. I have to kind of know everything that's happening. And that can create extra spinning in the mind. Um, So that's something to check into to see, you know, so first of all, it can just be a little bit uncomfortable at first to see just how much the mind is doing that we're not in charge of. That can feel a little bit odd. But also um, there could be a sense of like, trying to keep up almost. And instead of trying to keep up, just like, you don't have to know everything that it's doing, but just have the sense maybe of just like lots of things coming. You know, it it doesn't have to be that you know everything, but more the sense of, wow, the, the attention is picking up on a lot of things. So that can be a simpler kind of connection to that experience that maybe feels a little bit less disorienting or discombobulating. So you could play with that. Um, and, and sometimes it is just the, the idea or the view that I need to kind of track everything. I need to know everything the mind is doing. And that comes somewhat from the habit of, of the directing of the attention and knowing where the attention is. And so this, it's, kind of, it's again a step of trust almost that I don't have to be in charge. And, um, you know, stepping back, if it feels like there's a lot coming, it's like, okay, wow, a lot is happening right now and I know that. And, and keeping it simple in that way. Um, so I would play with that a little bit and see if that shifts your experience around it. This was my experience when I first started the, the open awareness practice, the, just like the feeling of the mind kind of like, wow, there's so much, I don't even know where to like begin. And, um, and it, it, it's, a, it's an adjustment, I think, partly because of the the way you've been practicing, the way I started with that focus. It's like the mind is like, I've, I've got it. I, I, I don't know where I am. And so um, that's another thing that you can actually notice is the confusion. It's like, oh, confusion. That's actually what's happening right now. So you can notice that. And after, I don't know, maybe a couple minutes of playing with that, you could give yourself a few moments back on something that you're familiar with. And then again, see if you can let go to, to play with uh, um, a little more ease with not needing to be in control. I mean, this is, this is a big thing that this practice points out to us. Is, it's like our minds, we're not in charge. <laughs> and actually, it's a good thing that we're not in charge some of the time. Because like if you're driving down the freeway, if you had to be in charge of everything that your mind paid attention to in order to do that, it's like there'd be way more accidents than there already are. So, you know, there's a way in which our system knows how to track things and know things and orient. And and so we're just kind of stepping back and saying, okay, let's see if we can watch how the mind does this. And we don't have to track it all. So I hope that gives a sense of um, a different way to engage. But it's fine to go back to where it feels, if it feels like so uh, disorienting, give yourself a few moments of back to, okay, I can land here on this thing. And then seeing if you, could, if you can open again. Another exploration around that could be um, to open to a smaller set of experience. So, for instance, you could, you know, in the sitting, for instance, um, are you, do you usually use the breath for 
Yeah, so, so you maybe do a few moments with the breath to, to land there. And then you could stage the opening, not to everything, but just like, okay, let's see if we can just like be a little receptive about what's happening in the body. And, and so kind of open it a little bit instead of to the entirety of experience. So, okay, so yeah, so there's the breath and there's pressure and then there's a little tension here and a little dryness and some coolness and vibration so that you, you, you just see the kind of flow of sensations in that field. And then maybe you could pick another one. Maybe you could pick hearing for a little while and, and explore that. So you can, if it, if it feels too disorienting to go wide all at once, you can try staging it a little bit. Yeah, thanks. And this is not uncommon. And, you know, I would say, you know, that some number of people... Um, have a kind of a, an inclination or a, an ease with um, open awareness that it's very natural for their minds. And, and s- certain people that I've, I've worked with have, finally have said, you mean I don't have to stay with my breath? What a relief. You know? And, and um, it's like, no, you don't have to stay with your breath. We're cultivating mindfulness here. So you know, it's like what the, atten- what the mindfulness is aware of, that's the important part. So some number of people, this is, this is like a really easeful thing to do and staying with the breath is harder. And for another set of people, it might be easier to, to, to focus on the breath and then broaden out. And for some people, it's probably a kind of mixture in the middle. Um, and, you know, I generally like to encourage people to um, start where it's easiest and then uh, open to the things that are more difficult through trying to build a bridge from what's easiest. So, like I'm suggesting, you know, you might start with the focus, then open a little bit, maybe use the focus to help you recognize that uh, you're present and then let the attention take on other things. Um, so, you know, that may be your doorway, the focusing may be your doorway. And yet, uh, from my own experience, um, you know, I kind of thought that the focused attention was my doorway. Um, and it was a little bit uncomfortable to start this practice. But once I really understood it and let go of some of these ideas and beliefs around, I have to track everything and be in charge of everything it was so much more natural of a practice for me. And so I even had the belief that this wasn't my doorway, but then, it, then actually when I looked back on where I actually started my practice, when I looked back at that after I met Sayadaw Utejaniya and learned his practice, it's like, oh, this is what I was doing before I got any meditation instructions. This was the practice I was doing. And so it's like, well, this actually is more natural in some ways, for, for this mind. And so the fact that you've been trained this way doesn't necessarily mean it's, and, and that it feels comfortable, doesn't necessarily mean that it's the easiest or, or most natural way for you. But, you know, experiment, play with it. And um, today I'm offering this more open style, so play with it today and see what happens. Yeah, thank you. And maybe one, one more uh, question or comment. Yeah, and would somebody pass the mic back?
I found the um, relaxation session we did just before we went for the walk um, very complete, and I was very, very happy with that. And for me, consequently, the transition to the walking was enormously abrupt and very unpleasant. And walking is great and all, but it was just a very difficult transition. Uh huh. So you know that sometimes it sounds like your mind got fairly settled in sitting, um, maybe kind of quiet. And so um, you know when that happens, sometimes um, it can be helpful to take our time in shifting. Uh, because, you know, the mind kind of is in a place where it can be present and aware in the stillness and maybe was kind of even orienting to that stillness. And so taking your time in the shift. Um, so you, it, it's fine to sit here for a little while and, and just like begin, begin slowly. It's like, okay, walking is the next thing. But like first thing I need to do is just open my eyes and I can look around and, and, and you know, opening the the field of attention there to seeing, you know, just see how that is. How Does that feel abrupt? And then you could play with closing your eyes, opening, seeing if you can get comfortable with that. And then maybe begin moving a little bit just in your chair. So just slowly shifting from from one to another. Yeah, and, and really to respect and honor where your mind is, you know, that it's it's over time with mindfulness practice, our mind gets more flexible about switching uh, to different um, states or different choices or different experiences. And, um, and so this is um, the, the state that you got into in the sitting practice, it can have some kind of um, draw or pull to it. Um, and so to learn, we need, we, at first we need to learn how do we shift out of those states. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of, of um, gentleness in terms of learning how to shift from one state to another. So taking your time with that. And I also found that the, the act of walking, um, from a practical standpoint, I had to put so much of looking into where I was placing my feet that that became the entire experience for me. And that can happen. So that that is, that is what you be- become aware of, is the seeing and the, the kind of concern about, are but you was, going to be stepping? It was very mechanical and it wasn't fun and it wasn't pleasant. There was nothing wrong with it. But I felt I really had to put everything there. It was, it was not frantic, but it was just very concentrated. Uh-huh. So I'm not sure I would be very adept at um, being able to really put my attention other than to my feet if well, I'm so, walking at a regular pace. So again, that, that, that's, um, so when you walk at a regular pace in your life, is that how you have to walk? Is looking very closely? Or like if you're, if you're talking and walking with a friend, do you have to... At a regular pace, do you have to look? I, I, I split my attention. Okay, so, so that is a piece for you to, to maybe keep your balance and, and know where you are. So, um, um, so that's, a, that's a piece right now for your body, for your system. When you're walking at a normal pace, you need to be attending to the seeing. And so um, uh, that's, that's what your system has to do when you're walking. And so can there be a sense of it's okay that that's what the, the, the mind has to do. If that's, that's what 
the mind needs to do to take care of this body in that experience, then that's what we become aware of. Another piece that would probably be useful is a little bit of recognition of maybe some of that tension or tightness around it, the little bit of sense of of unpleasantness. I heard a little bit of unpleasantness in there. So just knowing that, um, knowing that that's a piece of the experience. Yeah. So let's sit again. This will be a shorter sitting. <laughs> 